0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Integrating Self. My name is Kevin. Today we're joined by Pastor Alex, all the way over in Maryland. He is currently serving as the lead pastor for one of the major churches there, right near Washington Adventist University. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's exciting to reach out through these podcasts and meet people all over the States, Canada, and beyond. Um, I'm excited to hear about where you've come from, how you've um, ended up in this role. You've been at this church, Sligo Church, right? Is that how it's pronounced? Right. There you go. About two and a half years. You also are a PhD candidate out in Aberdeen University, which is in Scotland. So it's got some things going on. You're a busy man, you're an academic man, but you're also a cultured man, right? Mm -hmm. You're um So why don't we start with that? What is your background and how did that cultivate? Do you feel like you have an essence of who you are from your cultural background?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for the questions, I think. Um, So I grew up in Washington, D.C., born and raised. Um, Privileged and honored to be raised by a single uh, woman whose intent was to make sure that my future was bright, whatever that meant. I doubt that that meant pastoring, but um, but that's where we are. Um, but she's super proud. And um, I think the task behind trying to be who I am and I guess display the values of my life are to what a rapper Tupac Shakur would say in his Dear Mama song, um, the plan is to show you that I understand. And so really the, 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 essence of who I am is to trying to make mama proud, but beyond just proud, um, it's to, in a sense, make her voice count by all the effort and sacrifice that she made to make sure that my future was quote unquote bright. And, um, this is one form of kind of honoring that, but also that I guess we could summarize that by saying just honoring your mother, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. She's gone through a lot and just really, I think, capturing what God is in my life and then to all the values that she put in my life that should be given to our neighbors. So that in a just as where I'm from, Um, D.C. is a mixed place, Um, used to be known as the Chocolate City um, for its rich uh, Black American, African American history history. Uh, in regards to its religious and social context um, and its influence in terms of voice and justice um, that the city has been needing and had to grapple with for many years. Um, and, and its politics are always hot primarily because, you know, power does lay in DC. Uh, however, you might want to call that. And, um, and, but DC is a very different place for many people and, um, with so many uh, ethnic backgrounds. Um, And I grew up in a predominantly Black neighborhood where uh, Latinos were a minority. Um, And yet we felt like we all shared the same values. And um, uh, Spanish was my first language. Um, But understanding that in neighborhoods that we belong to, regardless of the things that are not necessarily so conducive for life and its sustainability, um, it was where I felt safe, and it's where I identified. And I felt like whatever issues there were at that time felt like everyday issues that could be tackled on the long term in different routes. And um, we're just wanting to make sure that the people – uh in my neighborhood were actually people that sometimes um i would say not everybody likes and um but to me it was just all the same everyone's a neighbor you know regardless of the background that you were coming from um shared the same apartment buildings street walks through the schools um and our school was very diverse um and I would say that, yeah, people would call my my neighborhood violent. I would call it a safe place for me. Um, and so, I mean, it's interesting because it's just uh, the, the paradox, right? <laughs> uh, but for me, noise is safe. When there's silence, it's kind of scary. You know, it's kind of the the contrast with the landscapes and so forth. But um, so yeah that's that's kind of me in a, in a nutshell uh where i'm from
0: yeah i i wanted to start with um um speaking to kind of what your mother was bringing because you mentioned she was a single parent did she yeah. immigrate or move to washington dc
1: yeah so she she wouldn't be considered a refugee for reasons of legalities but She left El Salvador in 1986 uh, due to some repercussions of post-Civil War um, uh, issues, and she had to provide for the family. uh, Of course, I had siblings at the time. I'm being the baby, but there were those who came before me, and she wanted to provide for the family, um, and so she migrated through land, if you like to call it that way. And so she brings a lot of um, strength and honor and um, just uh, grit, you know, and and trying to find a sense of being in a new land. And so, yeah, she was part of that wave of Central American migrants coming into the U.S. in the 80s. And um, she was pregnant with me at the time. She was seven wow. months pregnant. How that happens? I don't know. Uh, only a woman could tell you that. And so um, she brings a lot of determination and uh, obviously just a future that can only be seen when you move forward.
0: Yeah, that's quite quite the story of strength and determination that I think, like you said, only mothers would truly fully understand. Unique. So, with It is a unique thing, and motherhood yeah. is something far beyond, obviously, us men And it's something very honored because I know my mother had not, she didn't have to move, but the stories of when she was pregnant with me throwing up every day, you know, it's like, sorry, mom. And I was a very stubborn child who didn't refuse to learn to read. And my mom's a preschool teacher and she, she quite eloquently has informed me that I was the hardest kid she ever had to teach in her entire career. But, (laughs) but there's always thankful, but she, um, she learned a lot from me, and now she's helped so many other kids that remind her of me when I was little. Mm. So, you know, mm. I caused the greatest strain, but I was the greatest gift all in one.
1: That's how it is, though. That's yeah. how it is.
0: And as long as that's my awesome. older siblings never listen to that, we'll be fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, I got you, man. That, right? that's, that's true. It's very, very true. And, so, and that's expected, yeah.
0: With, um, with Spanish being your first language and growing up in this very – mixed setting it sounded like you were very comfortable with it you felt very at home and at peace with it like this diversity of all these um different cultures and having to learn english like there sounded like there was comfort to that so that wasn't strenuous
1: or hard for you no 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 complexity is part of the the nature of these sort of neighborhoods like you know um you don't get to choose necessarily, you know, who's gonna be your um, your neighbors when everything's an apartment building. You know, condos weren't a thing. Um at that time, is a lot of apartment buildings, and you had a mixture of languages. You know, we had other Asian uh neighbors, um you had Latino families from different sort of uh countries that were completely distinct central americans with south americans and then of course you had caribbean um, backgrounds that were represented but also you had black americans and so every single niche of of the hallway represented smells and foods and expressions and mannerisms and that was the cosmology that i had early on and it was good and it was comfortable Um, and, um, but that, but there was something that brought us together without really knowing that we, we were similar in so many ways, but with different, or I could say just a different vibe. Um, there were good vibes, but just different vibes. Um, and, and it was just rich. I was comfortable, complete. I still am. The more chaotic it seems to those who are narrow in, in thought or in, or, or envision or, or smell or, or taste budding, you know, that's just um, to me, it's just the complexity is a good place to be. It, it's a beautiful thing, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Completely comfortable.
0: Did you find that reality mirrored in going out? Did you go to church growing up or was religious community mirrored
1: in the way that you're describing your civic community? I think we were culturally catholic by that meaning that you know for any immigrant god is not something as an item in the world that you say well it believes uh, i mean that it's there or not god is part of the center of life i mean you you know it, there's no doubting that um per se um, so the church was an event that we went to here and there um when we were nurtured by the Adventist church. Um, it was a Latino church, primarily El Salvadoran. Um, and it's a church that was growing at that time was the most explosive in terms of its baptismals, uh, range. And I mean, we baptized like 150 people a year and it was like nothing. It was like peanuts. However, the in and out of the activity of baptisms, you know, you you realize that people came here for decision-makings and change and so forth. And that didn't necessarily mirror my neighborhood. My neighborhood had more chaos than the church did, but the church was more fluid in how many people came in and out, only demonstrating the lack of commitment, the lack of, we could say, neighborliness. Um, And and then it permitted the church to be, you know, narrow, um, a little preserving of itself um, and so forth, you know, and so, which was interesting. Um, But of course, like in any church, you know, you do find people who are deeply caring and loving and nurturing and who truly believe that you as a person matter more than, you know, whatever makeup of the church might be. So, um, yeah, but but I owe a lot to realizing that this sort of church, at least the space of the idea of the church, was possible for me, not because it agreed with what I brought, but because, you know, in a sense, I was invited to participate in a life that was Completely different from the neighborhood I was used to. Um, and so, you know, uh, in the neighborhood, you had drugs, you had typical things that anybody, any church would say, hey, this is not the thing to do. Uh, but the church was the place where it could say, yeah, um, maybe there's an alternative lifestyle that uh, perhaps is not, uh, you know, leading in this path. And so it just gave a different neighborhood, if you like, another village that I was unaware of, you know, so yeah, it was unique in seeing it that way.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like there's kind of a two-way communication, right? You have this beautiful diversity that gave you an idea of, I can live with all these people mm. where the church was more concentrated on one area. And like you said, mm. in and out, but then you yeah. had a flipped, flipped reality where the church was giving you a point of view of, Hey, these drugs, these things that are in your diverse community aren't mm. so good. Yeah. So there seems to be a big internal conversation of seeing these two communities
1: kind of relate. Correct. Absolutely. And and what what was telling a little bit is that in a Spanish church, I don't think, you know, there was some, it, it was interesting because if it was in D.C., you had to find kind of a, a strategy behind where you would um, plant the church and where the church was planted. At least for us, in our case, was in an affluent, predominantly white political uh, neighborhood, and so it's kind of like, wait a second, you guys have all these like immigrants going into this affluent neighborhood, um, and you need to be bused there, you know, um, you know, through public transportation, um, and not conducive to the Latino community, which was in a different place, and and even to this day, when you when you see it, it's kind of like. Um, what you know? What happened? What what was the thinking behind this? Because it is it remains to be a predominantly white, affluent political neighborhood, um, and and so the impact of the immigrant n- didn't necessarily spread out locally. It it just remained the same, you know. Um, but that's that that's my context of which I kind of um, you know you could think about and reflect. How that all came about
0: so th- that's quite interesting there's a dynamic between church and community but it's mm. still kind of in a silo we would say from the physical white community that the church was physically in so it's very pieced together yeah it's it's interesting that's kind of what i have enjoyed about these podcast episodes is learning mm. about that because mm. my my growing up was more of a white town, white school, like white church. Like it was all pretty much similar, but that's a lot of neighborhood negotiation and understanding you'd have to go through.
1: Yeah. And, and I think if you think about it in, like in a city, and of course in in any major city, you realize that what binds us together beyond uh, the cartography of, of the whole, you know, the mapping of the entire city is that, it's really simple. You share the same sidewalks and the same streets um, and stop signs with people that are around you, never realizing that regardless of what you think of each other, you're still sharing the same footstep uh, areas. And we can become territorial, obviously. Um, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood that you couldn't wear type of color Um because there's a code of understanding that you either lived there or you didn't and you would know those codes right um and it was primarily because it's it's a matter of protection right and it's a matter of affiliation and identity and that even with so much mixed culture there is a sense of belonging and um and then you know you grow up and you say actually I can belong to multiple places And I can identify with multiplicity and I can colorize, you know, in terms of clothing, um, you know, that you're no longer limited to two blocks. You know, Um, (laughs) and and that's just like, how do you know these things? Well, you would know them if you actually live there. And that's important about neighborhoods. Um, You have to live in one to understand the codes that aren't necessarily cultural. There's simply just uh, a matter of, regardless of our social economic status, there is a being of sorts that's really important to that location, right? So I'm proud to tell you that I'm from, you know, this street and that street. And, you know, even now, when I go through a rough time in my life, I will always go back to the corner of such and such street to reflect where I come from because. It's not progression that I'm looking forward to, but it's the place that made me uh, to have the amp view on something or to stretch my thinking about certain things that value most for my life. And, and it is location, right? Um, I come from a neighborhood and the moment that I don't treat it as a neighborhood, I've, I've lost in a part of my identity in many ways, you know? So yeah, it, it's really intricate, I think. Um, and important to how we understand ourselves
0: yeah and that kind of stretches against in a way global thinking and global christianity too because sure right because on one hand like you're you're talking about a very intimate specific set of streets and i can kind of relate i grew up in rutland which is part of Kelowna, which is different than mission and Boucherie and like, so I get like, you know, I'm from Rutland. I even have a, a shirt that says it.
1: <laughs> mm, mm.
0: So that how do we, how would you balance this identity of this street and that street to a religion? This is just coming out of curiosity. Now that is global. Cause I mean, we could even argue that the Bible is very specific Mount Sinai, Mount this, Mount Olive. Mm. Right. Sure. And And yet there's part of our faith that does stretch beyond location to this global thing. So yeah. how, do, how do you, I don't know if balance is the right word, or how do you see yourself at this very rooted, literal street corner to a global religion?
1: Yeah, um, that that's a very good question. And yeah, I think the biblical tenets uh, for features like a hill, uh, a river, you know, a tree or uh, a specific land um, have created to us to think that there is a locality that you know, some sacred motion of understanding land or water or whatever feature that may be, that it's localized for, you know, forever. And I think the big thing for me, um, being local is deeply important. Like you should read locally, right? I I support independent bookstores, right? Um, It is important primarily because it's about uh, the sort of uh, cultivation of uh, a progression of not capital, but of progression of spreading good things. And the idea that we can be local, but also be influential is key. However, um, you know, I'm afraid today we want to be everywhere, nowhere at the same time. Right. And I think this idea that religion plays into this idea that it has to be everywhere so that, you know, and then we bring in the, the biblical motif. Um, well, now God's word has to be everywhere. And, you know, then the end will come, you know, the, the imagery towards the prophetic. Um, yes, those are fine. That, that's okay. Except we forget that there are people that belong to those locations as a whole. And that there are already notions of religion or religious folk in in those areas. And my fear is that we assume that our locality suddenly becomes universal. Um, There's a uniqueness to locality. Um, Yeah, I told you I'm from this street. I'm from that street. And we have a color code. So it would be good to be religious in the sense of, yeah, there's a code for this here, but that doesn't necessarily spell the entire religious experience elsewhere, you know, and not because it's either functional or impractical or whatever, but that we got to understand that the world as a whole, if we truly believe that God is the one who owns or, you know, the world belongs to the Lord, if you like, um, then we have to give enough trust and credence that god is faithful in allowing those expressions to be everywhere and that we're able to respect what those are and um the respect goes back to the smell right it goes back to the hearing and the code and and the saying and the expression um you know and and it's a tricky thing uh it just is but part of being human gives us the complexity to say maybe religion isn't just reading something or understanding it, but it's smelling it, it's tasting it, it is um, moving or non-mo- non-mobility. Um, and that, you know, the world is truly just such an enormous neighborhood with so many blocks to consider and to learn from and to be permitted to be a part of. And then be permitted to walk in its sidewalks of, you know, um, and if we don't have that permission, then there, there's something we're missing in in the religious discourse, right? Altogether. Well, um,
0: that's that's what keep coming to my mind because yeah, you're you're speaking onto this beautiful integration. Right, I was in New York the other week for the first time, loved it. But as soon as I landed here in Vancouver, I was like, I am home. Like this yeah. is. I guess, so I get that. But then growing up, I've always heard, I think it's in Romans, you know, be in the world, but not of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I've
0: just have heard that as a almost a war cry that you shouldn't you know, your integration to community has to be very limited, very protected, that you are setting yourself up in this m- bubble of protection to showcase heaven. and right, there's there's a lot of interesting. Um, thought that went in it, but the end result was not being part of the community, not walking the same streets. You know, you have your, your house, you drive to church and then you, you're it. You don't take public transit. You don't know your neighbors because you're not in the, you're not of the world. You're here, but you're not of it. And I think that's the piece that I wanted to ask you about. If you've ever come across that thinking, because that's a huge chunk of what I've heard and saw people growing up. And then it caused people to leave because they're like, well, I want to be part of my community. I want to be on the hockey team that plays like, you know, they I've had friends who realize they're open it. when they open themselves up to community, to the neighborhood, they're like, oh, there are beautiful people here who aren't necessarily Adventist or even Christian. And it just it messes with them because they were just so used to this isolationist almost kind of um thinking. So how yeah. would you come across like that source of theology?
1: Yeah, I think, I think I want to bank on Howard Thurman. If you don't know who Howard Thurman is, he's a big influencer to Martin Luther King in his spiritual walk or theological makeup, uh, who is a mystic all, of, all on his own, if you ever read his work. And then the same mirroring of, of language will come from James Walt Baldwin, the, um, the novelist himself. The great novelist himself, who would say that um, fear is often the kind of the, the 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 thing that we're not willing to admit of why um, another space or another person um, is is the thing that's truly bugging us, you know. And um, there's something real to that. And have I ever been in a place where I'm afraid or I fe- I fear? someone uh because they're different or it's a different space. I I could never say I I've been afraid um in that sense. Um so I'll give you an example. We went to Chicago for some weeks to do some churchy stuff, to meet people, to greet them wherever they live, so we can talk to them about the activities of the church as a pastoral group. And as we went, we entered a very rough neighborhood, um, a place they call Chirac and um, Chicago and Iraq, you know, kind of this imagery that (laughs) it's a rough place. And um, and so I was the Latino, everybody else. I'm assuming. um, I could say predominantly white group, we could say, and we go into this neighborhood, predominantly black neighborhood. Um, and we were walking towards some apartments where the person we were visiting, uh, was waiting for us, no furniture in the, in, in the apartment, just sitting so that we could avoid anything that would happen in the window or close to the window. Um, but these guys, I have never seen so much fear, uh, in in the body, you know, nervous, shaking of where they were, that every step they took, there was there was this sense of fear for their life or for just not knowing that there's another context of a witch, which made me kind of afraid <laughs> of kind of saying, actually, the more afraid you are, the more you're kind of making me feel a certain way. I felt fine and just kind of being, but I guess I would feel the same way if I had never been in the sort of space where you know you, you look different. You know that uh, you might be playing into the part that might be assumed about who you are or where you might be, or that you have values that don't mirror the neighborhood and so forth. I think all of us as neighbors, I think there are some things that we all kind of want in common, a good life, good food, good relationships, um, and, and just a good place to be in. Um, but there's something, again, going back to Thurman, going back to Baldwin, fear itself is, is you know, obviously it's irrational at times, um, but there is a thing that they call that it enters the soul, um, that you don't know why that's the case, um, and it, it could be multiple things, and uh, it shakes you, and... I would say that I wouldn't call it racial, you know, antennas. I would just say that we are local people and it makes us who we are um, so much that it makes us fearful to to know that there is someone who might know something about something else that you don't know or that people actually have a different belief system or that they actually might have a joy that might be contrary to your joy um, if you think about you know uh, of course uh, but the pursuit of happiness motif not everybody is necessarily in the pursuit of happiness per se um, it could be something else right and it's just it's another mode of thought and value that is different and and that's kind of okay. I kind of want to say that. But fear is a big part of that, that I think holds us back from allowing us to see that our identity could actually be broadened and maybe um, tapped into in ways that we would have never thought before. Because, of course, we don't like chaos. We like stability. We like commonality. We like agreement, uh, Amer- uh, Americana lifestyle, you know. And that's all there is, you know, Mount Rushmore is a lot more beautiful than, of course, Cairo, Egypt, you know, this sort of like, actually, no, that's not true. Uh, immigrants w- would not come to America, per se, because they wanted to see Mount Rushmore. Which um, is
0: which is very small. I've been there. It's well, a very but, small place. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 you know, uh, no one's coming here to to live and dwell here because the great Grand Canyon is great. I mean, I'm just saying... There's no disrespect. I'm born here. I love where I live, but that's not why it happens, right? Um, There's just, there's so much more larger than life that I think as human beings, um, we are uh, encounter on a daily basis. And I think fear is one of those things that whatever fear is, um, and it's multiplicity of like, you know, uh, power um, kind of does not allow us to kind of stretch into those because it makes us completely uncomfortable. Um, and, and we call that in, in you know, different things, you know, um, which I don't want to get into, but I'm just, because then we're only going to grasp at one angle, you know. Um, there, but there's so many layers to it. and And fear, sadly, in America has been, uh, kind of the originator or, or promulgator of a lot of racial uh, insensitivity, racial uh, uh, strength, um, uh, causing issues and problems and violence and the lack of God's providential understanding. And and it's just, um, it's deeply problematic, but to say fear alone is to say a very big, huge word. That doesn't allow our identity to kind of uh, flourish where 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 it could. I think you know.
0: Yeah, I think you've you've hit on a quite a few things. You know, nailing down to comfortability, right? Com- God never promised a comfortable life, but we no. definitely we definitely seek that out, for good or bad. And part of that is writing off writing off the difference, right? Your
1: mm-hmm. skin
0: color, your food smells all the things that you mentioned, those make me uncomfortable. Therefore you stay over, Like we, we can separate yeah, yeah, on those lines so easily to retain ourself. And that's why I've asked before in sermons and some of the writings, like, does that mean we lack integrity? Right. Cause integrity is a sense of self, despite somebody else's self. And from there, I think you, it's the only way you can celebrate other people, right? I'm okay being me. Therefore I get to celebrate you now.
1: Yeah. And like yeah,
0: you've, You've mentioned, right? The, the fear that grows in between not understanding that can cause these issues. And then, of course, in the Bible, what casts out fear? Perfect Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. But then what we have to ask, what takes love? Doesn't it's not a warm feeling, right? Mm. You, You don't, it's not, it's not something that, Oh, I, I love the idea or the theory that you are saved, but please be on this side of the room. Like it's, it's an intentional, Getting to know somebody—it's an intentional relationship. It's something that affects you and like there's love is a very big action word. It's but we tend to theorize it, right? It's easy to say everyone is loved by God, and then just to leave it at that, but not Mm -hmm. to actually act on it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, if if it's difficult for us to individually sit in the space and just keep quiet right um I think possibly our minds would go ballistic you know um out of control especially in our society today um and we are afraid to be alone right and um we're deeply afraid to see ourselves as we truly are and even on our political issues or events that have happened over the last couple years due to um just a variety of issues in the world um, if that's the issue, just seeing ourselves as we truly are, we really aren't the greatest of neighbors, right? Um, how much more does it take for us to actually be in the same space with someone else, um, to look each other or to, uh, to sit next to each other and, and just dwell, right? Um, that, that is riveting. That is uh, unheard of. And we'd like to not be in those sort of situations. And imagine that's, that's, that's also a theory, like that you put two people together and then they're just going to get uncomfortable. No, try to do that with enemies, you know, and try to do that with people who don't understand each other. Uh, white supremacists with, um, you know, any other person or uh, someone who... <laughs> for whatever reason has different ideas than we do um you don't have to speak a word to realize that our bodies would probably pick up the vibes that are in the air <laughs> yeah. um of how much tension that would cause um but why would you do that at all right why would you put people um well the thing is that that's precisely what scripture kind of says that um you all are in the same world <laughs> and that Uh, You are all neighbors, by the way, and that the way you love people, you love the ones that persecute you and that you love the enemies of God and so forth. And and, well, why would you? Right. Well, it doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. But uh, no more theory. Um, We, you know, we're seeing the news about so many uh, realities about neighboring countries and neighboring peoples. yeah, love is not, uh, you know, it is definitely not um, as we thought it before. Until we start talking about eliminating each other, and that's, it's it's a tough time, you know, and and it's so easy to get rid of each other, um, and and of course in our self help society too. Um, now, everything's about making sure that you draw the line and boundaries. And and rightly so. You know, we live in such a society where boundaries are crossed often. But um, is that what we're supposed to do? You know, build boundaries so that we're no longer can't take it in the sense of we can't be neighbors because, well, you know, for whatever issue that may be. Now, we're not talking about heinous crimes we're not talking about heinous acts w- between relationships i'm talking about oh i don't like that well i've drawn the line is is that is that what we're supposed to be is that the whole point of christ loving the neighbor you know make but make sure that you re- we cross the boundaries and that's it's just it's tough you know yeah um, it's tough and and i think loving the enemy is an identity too and i don't think we see it that way i think oh i i have an identity of my own here's my profile you can find it on twitter and then like send it over somewhere else no no we're what would it look like if my identity is somehow enmeshed with yours and that maybe then that becomes problematic but enough for you to actually say no uh, maybe something can bloom here it's dark. It's it's tough. It's tough. Yeah,
0: and I've I've wondered about that. In that, here in British Columbia, we often get quite large forest fires. Um, mm. Mm. My the city I grew up in, the very year I moved there, we had a massive forest fire that almost took out the city, and they have one there almost every other year. And so you see these moments of people coming together, this community identity that you're speaking very well of. But my question is, why does it take a forest fire for us to get along? Because as soon as the forest fire season is done, we kind of go back to our little areas. We kind of go back to, you know, you're over there, I'm over here. And I've often so wondered about why why does it take a natural disaster for us to act our most human? And how can we practice or cultivate that sense without the need of an earthquake or tsunami, but just as the call of being a Christian, that's something I've wondered so much about. And now that you are, you know, you've been a pastor for a number of years, you're leading a large church next close to university. You're in the seat of power of the United States. You know, you're with all these areas, <laughs> all these people trying to build you up here. <laughs> yeah, no. I see. So how, how have you seen this reflected in your pastoral like leadership, you know, beyond the weekly sermons? But how do we really get into this call of being a neighbor without external issues, but something that's always just personally cultivated beyond, like I said, beyond um natural disasters, beyond the call of let's go hand out free Adventist books and feel good about ourselves, but something that's deeply rooted personal that doesn't need a validation, doesn't need a pastoral call to go hand out um Ellen White books, which sure. haven't always been effective. But like, <laughs> that's the thing I've been trying to get at for so long is where is the, just the, the straight piece of rootedness or trying to describe it of this is what it means to be a Christ follower knowing thy neighbor we even have the question who is my neighbor and the stories, but it just seems like what you what you've been explaining and detailing your amazing childhood and these views doesn't seem to like not everyone was born in a in a scenario as you so how do we get people to become like that
1: (laughs) yeah um well one i think I think having a good mom is a good, <laughs> is a good good mom is a is a good thanks start. mom yeah uh, yeah absolutely but I I'm also grateful in the work that she got into um she was a housekeeper and um you realize that she went into different homes and you know rich middle class or whatever there was always a contrast to all that and um you know just being able to see that everybody. Uh, Needs a home, obviously And and we take that for granted, I think I think one of the things that That could help us um, See things a bit more clear Is that um, I don't think You know, whenever Whenever a Muslim Moves into a neighborhood The Muslim isn't um, Needing propaganda for you to go To the mosque Um, They move closest to the mosque Um, And then they'll be there Friday night. Like no one's giving them a newsletter. There's no pamphlet. There's no TV channel that says, you know, a week of prayer, you know, for you just find the closest mosque and you move closest to the mosque. Right. And that's your question. You come to the campus here. they will be, you know, we're over here asking, you know, what's the meal ticket for the lunch? And what kind of preachers will there be? You know, uh, I need a good word. I need a, what kind of good contemporary music will there be? And then the Muslims asking, not about any of these things. They're asking, is there a prayer room, right? And that that's the thing. I think we've gotten off the point that um, we've put so much trust on these like pop-up things that uh, I call it entertainment, you know? We we need an extra email to be reminded to pray. Uh, we need um, a, a newsletter to tell me that I should go to church or something of that nature. Um, I need good music so that my spirit is good, so that I could catch a word. I need a preaching conference to kind of excite me again. Like all these like, you know, and, and the more you build on it, the more you're sustaining material like it's 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 so outside of human nature but we we start depending on this thing and how do we get back to simply saying recognizing that as a human being you are connected to the world whether you like it or you don't um the tree around us right it it doesn't move and yet it's provided for right uh, there's rain there's storm um Uh, the grass grows without my consultation, right? Um, It rains whenever it wants, snow comes if the season's right, you know, whatever. And I'm part of that flow uh, of the life. And the moment that I start thinking that um, I can't do with this nature thing, and that I can do things by myself, and I now work remotely, um, which is a cool thing. And You know, we've really capitalized spirituality in a way that is gross. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, The dependency we have with all these things so that I could be something and I can feel something is just strange. Um, We need to go where people are. And I think we're only doing that Friday nights, Saturday nights. Um, you know, I'll go to Five Guys for dinner on Friday night or Saturday night. I'll go to the, in town and then see what people are doing. But like, we're not thinking about, but I, I like, and I, I want to summarize this in a way that isn't complicated, but I want to bring experience to it. We're not thinking theologically already. We're thinking productively. What can I do for the future of my life so that I could be purposeful? and that's all business language i need purpose to get me somewhere right and so i'm looking for purpose 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 if you know your purpose you know where you're going know your why so you're going to go to your why and like again this whole mantra that like i need to all this stuff and and we're only accentuating all this like layered life that we don't need um where we could simply say as a human being How do I put myself in a place that could nurture conversation, that can nurture laughter, that can nurture, um, you know, a good soda pop place? You know, get me a nice soda just to have a good fun. Um, How can I nurture reading? How could I nurture uh, playtime with children at a library? You know. Um, we're taking these things that are so minute that I think anyone hearing, you know, punk has as a whole be like, this is ridiculous. It's far too basic. We human beings are far too basic and we overcomplicate things by always adding the capital. I need this. I need here to get to this, to get to that and foundationally needing relationships. Um, how does that all happen? well, Maybe if we're intentional about the things that we're after. So, for instance, moving to a neighborhood of which maybe there are places of which I could go to on a weekly basis just to sit down and actually have a conversation with somebody. Um, maybe I shouldn't live two hours away, um, you know, but that sounds luxurious because if you live in the city, it's too expensive, right? Um, but the idea that the more land we have, the further away from people I am. I mean, you got to think about this whole thing. Like the more acreage I have, the more value I have in territory, but I'm never around people. It's just like, what, how does this work? Um, So I I think, you know, it's not only dependent on uh, making a decision that will nurture locality, but making decisions to be where people are. Um, and how do we do that? And looking for spots where there's conversation. Uh, a friend of mine. I, I'm sorry, I'm continuing to to push this a little bit. Might not be too clear. Uh, a friend pastured out in the desert, in the Midwest. Um, won't tell you where, as you might find him. And <laughs> and he pastures in the Midwest. Intellectual guy needs needs good community to have conversations. Um. And rather than trying to do this whole dispensing books and information that's just irrelevant, you know, for whatever life there is, how do you just go to the local uh, museum <laughs> and be attached to an activity that happens where the conversation of art and the world take place? And, and then you start to realize there are other people with those similar interests And you start realizing that faith isn't just whenever you talk about Jesus, but that faith is nurtured by the people who are around you anyways. They might not be so sacred, and there might not be so holy or godly or literate as we all are, kind of quote. But that another human being, whenever we have proximity to others, that there's already a divine effect that they bring to the table in ways that we could never get if we we're just by ourselves. If truly we are creatures of God, right, and God of the earth, then there's something that they bring to the table that's far more richer than any book that we might bring to them, including the Bible. And forgive me if that sounds heretical. Um uh, because they carry a breath. Of which only god has provided and that part of this is to see the stories and the experience and the ability to see that life is possibly richer um, when we can dwell with others in ways that would make us feel like you know we're not the only ones who solve it all together you know so i'm sorry for the whole the layering i'm just thinking about that in a neighborhood how, do, how is it that you have a liquor store, and then you have a shoe store, and then you have an apartment building, and then you have a pho place, like a pho, uh, uh, a soup place next to it. And then next to it, you have another uh, children's development center. How does that all mix? Because in any neighborhood, the mix-up is not a problem. Why is it a problem when we talk about people? why is it that we can't dwell next to each other and so the point is it's possible if we just keep it basic like can we just live together and be in the same spots together and not have that fear that 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 is so rampant sometimes
0: Thanks again for listening to this episode of our podcast. As we end, I would like to acknowledge that these conversations are recorded on the ancestral and unceded territory of the Stolo Nation. With a big special thanks to our executive producer, Alexander Carpenter, our editor, Bryce Hollock, and to our creative team. We have Brittany May with Logo Design and Jared Jameson on audio. Also, a big shout out to our Spectrum friends over in New York City for their continued support of this program. Thanks.